0: hey this is kate welcome to two pastors take a walk and make a podcast
1: this is yolando and as always we're talking about what is astonishing us what we're thinking about and what we're preaching
0: and so we did not take a walk today because Yolando has a sick kid. So we are on Zoom and it's possible we will never take a walk together again. Wait, what? It's possible. it's possible. Because I just feel like we need to do the most important thing first, right? I just, got, I just
1: got it. I got what you mean. Yeah, i was I like, what do you mean? Are you moving? <laughs> or you something God. happening?
0: <laughs> We're ending it now. <laughs> um, no, we should do... I mean I can't decide if we should do the big reveal now or like work like no well, we should do it now because I'm not gonna You, be
1: able you to brought to do it up it. and so yeah I got to do yeah. it now. Well, I have so, mine written on a piece of paper I have mine and down sounds, too. Okay, all right, let's let's do mm-hmm. it. Um
0: but 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 wait, people might not know what the heck we're talking about. That's true. So, um yeah. we have for these past couple of weeks both been in our churches um preaching a worship series on the spiritual practice of giving thanks. And, you know, the, the big idea was honestly, nobody in our church really needs more information about the spiritual discipline of giving thanks. Like we all know that um, giving thanks and the practice of cultivating gratitude is life giving and god honoring and beneficial and i mean even even the secular culture has has um you know ratified that truth so it, this it's not new news for anyone and so while we did obviously we're preachers so we preached um but we really wanted the month to be about creating um a culture where giving thanks wasn't just something that people nodded their head and agreed to and thought I should do this more but that really people um, practiced it embodied it and so we built some time into worship in both of our congregations so that you know there would be a word and there would be the preaching moment and then people would write down in that moment begin to give thanks and we encouraged people to submit their lists of Things they were thanking God for to um, the congregations. And we kept a count. Um, And because um, there's no law against joy, Um, since spirituality is not a competition, it's not, but joy is not against the rules. So we just thought it would be fun to do a little friendly competition between the congregations. And um, we thought our people would buy in more if there were some stakes for us. So we developed um, a wager between the two of us with some consequences. Uh, no rewards for the winner other than the spiritual rewards and the bragging rights um but but penalties. That's enough. So so do you want to explain what those penalties were?
1: Yes. Um, if, the saints at derida church had more items of gratitude than kate has to watch all of the star wars movies and give a theological analysis uh during the podcast which would just be uh butter just so I fantastic. really
0: should clarify this before but we're talking like classic canon like not all the like fan no no, fan
1: no yeah just off, just like Han solo no There's just the like classic nine canon of them, right no. No, I, well, I was just thinking the the first three and the, um, well, actually the first six movies. The first six, awesome. Yeah.
0: Okay, and if the Grove um, gives thanks more then derida prez then yolando has has to to... begin running with me again Again. which we stopped doing when i was pregnant with my third child which is like six years ago so um we are going to run again together in the morning because we used to be two pastors who take a run (laughs) and talk about (laughs) our sermons and then anyway so so those are the stakes before
1: we reveal let me also add that um one of the things that's been so encouraging during this challenge time is to hear uh, feedback from people at Dry Church saying, "Hey, you know this this was so encouraging for me. To me, this this was it was it felt like a simple thing that I was doing just because you asked us to do it. But I found the work of the Holy Spirit in it. I God met me in this practice, and win or lose." That's the point. That's the point of all of
0: this. I have a really bad feeling about this because nobody said that to me <laughs> at the group. Clearly, clearly you maybe did a better job. Um, okay, so we've written it down on a piece of paper so that we can reveal it at the same time. And um, so here, so here. here <laughs> clearly,
1: clearly we have a lot of trust in each other that we have to
0: <laughs> do not reveal
1: at the same me. time. <laughs>
0: Oh gosh! Okay, ready? Yeah, I'm so oh. nervous. All right, three, one. two, one, Let's go! Review. Oh, we lost!
1: <laughs> no! So, so by almost a thousand, you're thirty six thirty one. We're twenty six seventy eight. Holy cow! I'm running. <laughs>
0: Oh, I'm, I'm so running. relieved. I'm so relieved. I'm running. So relieved.
1: I'm running. Oh, oh.
0: oh I really got nervous. <laughs> and you're talking about everyone. Oh, I'm really relieved. I mean, I think it's possible that we won the competition and you won the spiritual prize, but I don't care because I don't have enough <laughs> Starbucks. So I'm taking it. Not Starbucks.
1: Oh, <laughs> boy. Starbucks okay. So, okay. Tell me, when do we start running?
0: I mean, next week. <laughs> Next Great. time I All see right. you. <laughs> that's right. Next Tuesday. Oh, I'm so relieved. I was really, really nervous. Oh. Um, that's really good news. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah. I, I'm a, um I'm a very competitive person with zero athletic skills. And so um I have very few opportunities to compete, much less to win. So I'm a I'm a bad loser and also a pretty bad winner. So I'm really trying to All exercise good. spiritual restraint. So I'll just say um. <laughs> I'd like to thank the Saints of the Grove. <laughs> and I'm really, really happy that we'll get to run together again. Yeah. Um, that's just really exciting. And obviously the point was all of the things that you said about um obviously the point was spiritual growth. And so I'm really grateful that we're we're all winners. You're really so happy say.
1: about winning. You just you're just tripping over yourself
0: i'm i'm i am mostly happy that i don't have to watch star wars i'm not gonna lie and i'm happy that we get to run again and then thirdly i'm happy that my congregation pulled out a w so that that's exciting
1: exciting. congratulations to the saints at the grove
0: we're all winners
1: we're all We're all winners we're all winners
0: that's great um Well, so that was weird, Um, a weird departure from our format, because our format usually is, what is astonishing you? What are you thinking about? And what are you preaching about? So, um, so what's astonishing you?
1: Well, this month, December 2021 is the 50th anniversary of Jon Stewart, not the former host of The Daily Show.
0: (laughs) I was very confused.
1: But of the first Black superhero in yeah. the DC comic universe. Uh, 1971, uh, the character was created, John Stewart. He is one of the Green Lanterns. And this is the superhero of my childhood. I'm wearing green today in honor of yeah. Jon Stewart. Um, all my life, my favorite color has been green because of this superhero. Uh, the Green Lanterns, and, and there are many Green Lanterns. He followed um, a white uh, Green Lantern um, who, who did not want John Stewart uh, because he thought he was too angry. Uh, John Stewart uh, was an architect. He was a former Marine. His mother was a community organizer and his whole, Um, passion was around uh, justice and fairness and peace. And so the guardians of the universe named him as the next Green Lantern. And if you know um, that superhero, they they wear these rings and there's this uh, power, this light, green light that comes out of the ring. And whatever they can imagine gets constructed in the real world through the power of the rain. And because he's an architect, he was called the master builder, and he could construct these fantastic things um, because of his imagination. So um, again, when I thought about being a superhero as a kid, Batman, nah, Superman, nah, Aquaman, certainly not. It was the Green Lantern, and he's really kind of he's been forgotten a little bit, unless you are um, a comic book fan, which I was as a kid. Um, but yeah, it, I did not realize that the character was that old. Um, he is only the third mainstream um, black comic book superhero Um Current, the current Green Lantern is a Latina woman by the name of Jessica Cruz. It's really a fascinating storyline. The, the Green Lanterns are kind of an intergalactic police force for peace and justice. And um, yeah, that's I'm, I'm just astonished by uh, the reality that that character is 50 years old, and <laughs> I am 50 years old. Um, and when I think about my childhood and sitting in my bedroom reading comic books. Um that was that was part of my collection.
0: So there's really a war going on inside of me right now. I
1: know it's quite nerdy.
0: <laughs> no, I mean like I um I want to honor <laughs> you as my friend and what's important to you. And so like I, I'm grateful that there was a story. Um, that gave you joy as a kid and inspired you and and made you feel seen and honored. And that's great. I also sort of feel like this is a violation of the bet because we are not talking about Star Wars, but now we're having an extended conversation about Marvel. Is it Marvel? But DC But that. Okay. Um, Well, that's, I'm, I just, I'm a little speechless. So I'm, I'm glad. Um, I'm glad to have this opportunity to agree with you that you're old and I'm glad that your childhood um, included John Stewart. So
1: well, and again, it's a reminder that these kind of characters matter. Um, mm-hmm. uh, again, as a child, um, you're uh, an ethnic minority child you're you're searching for, characters, images that look like you. And for me, it was Green Lantern and, um, it meant a lot.
0: That's great. Great.
1: So what's astonishing you?
0: Uh, well, actually, um, so a a couple of weeks ago, I, um, was able to write a letter or, or a piece for the local paper around, um, how we teach history to our kids, which I don't know if we've talked about on the podcast or not, but, um, and normally after you write something, you, you get responses from people, which is part of the um part of the joy of it. Um and really um t- often people will write me to to thank me for speaking, which I appreciate, which is really encouraging. And then um also, I mean not I mean not a lot, but like sometimes people will write or call <laughs> to tell you how much they didn't appreciate what you said. And um, I really have um come to kind of authentically enjoy when people kind of write really um personal <laughs> attacks um about things that I've written. Like it used, like it never. I mean, I don't know, I've never had anyone write anything violent. So Mm -hmm. that just, you know, people sometimes will just tell you what they think of you because this is how you think. And I, and sometimes, you know, it's just, it just makes me laugh. Like when, um, I think we played a, a voicemail on the podcast a couple of weeks ago where someone was like, you know, I'm, I'm. I'm leaving this message for supposedly pastor Kate and I so called, think it's funny. Like,
1: so-called pastor
0: Kate so-called pastor Kate supposedly yeah and so like now I mean like people at the church sometimes will call me PK and then some people at the church that I shared that um, voicemail with will call me SPK and we just think it's funny like, it's just funny um, so normally um, I'll get feedback that is um, you know from folks who agree with me and that's really encouraging and I'll get feedback from folks who disagree with me and um, I, you know, can kind of make me laugh, but rarely um, do I get feedback from someone who disagrees with me that actually, um, I don't know, like, I, I can't categorize it. Like, it, I mean, anyway, I got a letter, like an actual letter in the mail <laughs> from someone um, who is, you know, connected to some people who are at the Grove. Who um who wrote to give feedback about my piece. And I was really astonished by it. Um, because, because it starts out, um it, they wrote it to The Observer, but they sent me a copy. And they started out and said, as a pastor and a preacher, Kate Murphy is a gifted and learned interpreter of the Bible. My wife and I rarely take an extended road trip without listening to at least one of her sermons in the car. Um, and I I thought oh this is a person who is writing to tell me that they agree with what I said and I and and then he he goes on and I'll, I'll share them you know he said her short article is entirely good and right as far as it goes and then he goes on to say what he thinks are the problems with my argument and I guess what really astonished me because it's just so rare it is just rare to encounter anyone who has an opposing understanding who begins from a posture of genuine respect and honor and appreciation. And it was just such an interesting thing to read this letter. And I, and I mean, and I, I'll probably write him back and just say, like, I, I never had that experience. And that's not a, like a, whoa, po- poor me thing, because I'm not you know there are people who really have to deal with um you know terrible things that that uh, come to them as a response of their public life and i'm not one of those people um but of all the people who have ever taken the time to reach out to me in response to what i've written and to sort of say i see it differently it's just so amazing um that no one I mean, just as a rhetorical strategy, (laughs) I'm much more likely to actually listen to what you're saying when it starts from a position of like, I see you and I acknowledge who you are in the world as opposed to supposedly Pastor Kate, right? And so I guess I just thought I was really, um, you know, not, not persuaded by his argument, although interested in having a conversation with him about why I see things, the way that I do and, and, and why he sees it the way that he does. But I I guess I was just more astonishing at like how often I encounter other people's views, um, and how I'm, I, I won't often, um, reach out to someone with whom I disagree. And if I did, I wouldn't start off with a personal attack, but that doesn't mean that that's not in my heart, right? Like, it doesn't mean that the place that I begin my evaluation of their argument doesn't come from a place of spiritual superiority or pride or a sense of, I know who this person is and I know what their moral, I mean, I hate to admit I. I mean, this is shameful to admit about myself, but to say like what what their moral worth is, right? Like, and I'm just being honest, like what I was so captivated by in this man's letter was how incredibly gracious and authentic he was in the posture he assumed in having the conversation. And it really made me think, the fact that i'm astonished by this it's not an indictment on these kids today it's an indictment on myself like how how if i'm honest um it just wouldn't occur to me um to to reach out from from that place and so i'm i'm really moved um I, again like i think we we are um we are listening to different people and we are encountering, um, you know, carrying different people's perspectives with us when we encounter the issue of how you teach history in school. Um, but 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 I just am really um so I'm less persuaded by his argument, but I'm really humbled and inspired and astonished in the in the very best way um, by the way that he's modeling for me how we are called to walk as salt and light in the world. And it's just, I mean, as Jesus says, like, if you can be good to the people who are good to you, if you can be kind and honoring of the people who agree with you, like, so what? Because anybody can be that. But if you can you know, bless those who curse you. If you can reach out to someone who who is saying something that you really think is wrong, and say, "I see you, and I value who you are, and this is how I see that differently," you know that models the spirit of Jesus. I mean, that is that is an evidence that's fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I think so often because the church has been so um, malformed by the culture wars. We tend to see somebody having right belief as evidence of their um following Earthiness. Jesus. Right. And and just to sort of say, like, well, if you think about this or that issue rightly, then that means you are standing in line with Jesus. But the reality is it's it's behavior, it's the way you walk your beliefs that really um you, you know that that's the spiritual fruit, right? And and I think I, I say this a lot. Um, but this letter is really just a challenge to me to think about how I embody it and not just say it from the pulpit, but like if we have truth, it's because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to us, right? Like it is pure grace. It is it it, it like having truth. I mean, I don't know, this might be an extreme statement, but like. I don't think it is. I and mean, to some extent, having truth is like having blue eyes, right? Like it's not that you are moral because of your eye color. And if I have truth, it's because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to me. It's because the Holy Spirit has, you know, brought um brought people into my life, brought revelation into my life, given me the grace to repent of play. You know, it's just, and I think so often we carry truth into the world as if it's a moral achievement or as if it's a testimony of world worth. And we turn truth, which should be a gift into a weapon. And we use it to like bludgeon people or build walls between us and other people. Instead of saying like, no, if I have this truth, it's not to separate me from you. It's to share it with God's creation and to draw people into the community. And so I'm not saying and then I'll shut up. Like, I'm not saying all truth is relative. I'm not saying that. Like, obviously a lot of what we are working out in the church right now is ways that the body of Christ has been complicit with evil and injustice in the world, right? So it's not a matter of like, well, you believed in segregation and I didn't, and potato patata, like, no. I mean, there are, um, there, there are values that are of God and values that are anti-Christ, right? And so, It's not about all truth being relative, but it is about saying if I have a truth, um, especially a hard truth. um, It's not meant for me to then go and and retreat into my holy enclave and throw bombs at people on the outside. It's meant to be carried out into into the world to be to be seeds and to be forming relationships with people to say, I'm not in relationship with you. I'm not walking in love with you because what you agree, what you think is palatable to me. I'm walking in relationship with you because this is the way that my Lord called me to walk in relationship with everybody. And I think maybe the problem is, and then I really will shut up. Like we all, like we study the prophets and the prophets used very strong language, and often did you know you have Amos, you know, talking about the fat cows of Bashir, and I mean, like the prophets did use a lot of really exaggerated, um, but caustic words to, to call people to repentance and life, right? Um, but we're not called to be prophets, um, we're well, called to be little christs, and so. I don't
1: know. And I would add that the prophets are speaking to the people within their own community. Mm -hmm. And so that's a different kind of um, relationship. Um, If the prophets were speaking to, I mean, the prophets reserved their hardest language for the people of Israel, their own people, their own tribe right? Not for the others out there, but for their own people. And I think that's the difference. We reserve our harshest language, not for the people who are um, in our our group, but for those out there. Uh, Yeah.
0: and And I also think like, this is partly what Jesus is saying when John, you know, lots of us have just heard about John in our communities, like John roars onto the scene, John the Baptist, and says, you know, you brood of vipers, who warned you to wrath from the fleet to flee from the wrath that is coming, and you know, sell your second coat and to, you know, do all this stuff. And and Jesus says, you know, John, there is just no one greater, no man born of woman is greater than John, and he's the least in the kingdom of God. And so I think like, and then John himself later on says like, I have to become less and less so that he can become more and more. And John himself says, you know, Jesus is so utterly different than who he anticipated Jesus to be. Like he, well, clearly, I think John anticipated Jesus to be a more intense and perfect version of himself, than of John. So John thought, well, Jesus is going to be like me, but to the nth degree, like a more powerful version of me. And so when Jesus shows up to be the Messiah in a way that is really anathema to John, he really has to wrestle with, is this the way of God? And if it is, will I submit to it? Because it's a way that looks weak to him and looks as if it's compromising with evil to him and looks as if it's just accepting the injustices in the world as inevitable. And I just think like more of us as believers who have gotten swept up into the culture war sometimes like really taking it on because it's easier to fight the culture war than to conform to christ like we really need to ask ourselves are we running around like modern day john the baptist just like wanting to walk into public and go on blast and call people snakes and warn them that they're going to hell or are we going to you know be like latter day john the baptist which says not my way but your way and i'm My natural inclinations are going to have to be, um, even those are going to have to be submitted. My righteousness is just not the righteousness of the kingdom of God. Um, And I, anyway, what else were you going to say?
1: Well, just to add to what you've just said, I'm good with John the Baptist telling people they're going to hell because John is again, speaking to his own community. And I think that is the difference between the current culture war and what John was doing. Um, and I'm also reminded of that that great hymn of the church, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It's so uh, passive. Something was given to me, yeah. something was done for me. So now if I see truth, I need to have a certain level of humility (laughs) that um, because I was blind, someone made me see. And so to wield that as a weapon really goes against uh, the grace that was given to me.
0: Well, and I think that's the problem. And I mean, I feel like we've talked about this a lot, maybe not on the podcast, but like we just right now, I don't think that there are very many Christian communities including my own. And I, and obviously that's, you know, that's my, I bear a lot of responsibility for that since I'm one of the leaders of our community, but I don't think there are a lot of Christian communities that really celebrate and honor repentance as a holy uh, thing. And, And so we don't, we have, again, sort of modeled our understanding of faith through the lens of the culture. And so what we're trying to do all the time is use our faith to justify ourselves. And the story we're trying to tell is Jesus, that I am righteous and Jesus is my Lord, as opposed to the the posture of scripture, which is I'm not righteous, but Jesus is my Lord and I am righteous in Christ and in Christ alone. And I think, you know, that, that swap would change everything because if we we encounter people from a real posture of like no i'm i you know you can be a wretch like me i have no pride in my own um in my own righteousness so i can't have any contempt for you wherever you are on your spiritual journey because you know, contrary to recent weeks in our churches, it's not a competition. (laughs) Like this is not, (laughs) grace is not a scarce quantity that needs to be fought over. And so what we are really saying is, um, you know, I have experienced this life-giving transformation from outside of myself and I won't trade anything for it. I know it can't be taken from me, so I'm fearless walking in the world after my Lord and whoever you are, you are, you know, a friend of Jesus. You're my brother, you're my sister. And so I can have a conversation with you about like, Hey, this is where I disagree with you, but I, I see who you are. Um, and I, I just um you know, and that just goes full circle to that letter, which, I mean, I just, just really schooled me in how a mature follower of Jesus engages with a brother or sister about something that matters from a posture of um, fullness and acceptance in Christ.
1: Well, and I would also add um, an understanding, a trust in uh, the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. Um, I, along with, Many other African Americans last week, when um, the Ahmad Aubrey case was being decided, were like, we we know how this has gone many times. Mm-hmm. So either way, we we will be okay because we trust in a justice that is higher. Um does it mean we don't engage in struggle? Does it mean we don't mm-hmm. tell truth? What that means, is that we engage with a certain spirit? We engage um, without panic, without bitterness, yet <laughs> we we tell the truth, uh, and that's 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 a hard place, but I think it's a right place for a believer, um, because if you if you don't if you don't trust the sovereignty of God, then you will easily be sucked into Um, becoming in the most distorted way, a crusader for a cause. Right.
0: Right. Well, you, you get sucked into the lie that the ends justify the means Mm -hmm. and, you know, the whole point of the cross is the ends do not justify the means, you know, that, that was the idea that, you know, the Roman empire had the right to, do violence in order to promote peace. Um, and if a, an innocent person got, you know, swept up in it along the way, like you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs and like just for the greater good, we have to go along with this. And and the whole point of Jesus on the cross, well, not the whole point because we could speak for a million years and never articulate the whole point of the act of salvation. But but one of the fundamental points I think that Christians have to understand is Jesus was saying, I will not do violence to bring about the reign of God, period, end of story, because it won't be the reign of God if it is ushered in by violence, even violence against those who from, I mean, not just a human, but from a divine perspective, quote, deserve it. (laughs) Like that's, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and the Lord chooses not to take vengeance. And we just have to sit with that, Um, And repent of the fact that we, you know, choose vengeance again and again and again and again, because ultimately we believe in vengeance more than we believe in salvation.
1: Even though the scripture says mercy triumphs over judgment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last week I preached uh, the uh, text around John the Baptist calling people to repentance from uh, the gospel of Matthew And um, I said something like, I suppose that there are three types of people who would read the scripture, maybe even three types of people listening to this message. Mm -hmm. The first type is the person who says, I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. And to that person, you need to hear John the Baptist saying, you are not not. as good as (laughs) as you think you are. (laughs) Repent, (laughs) repent. The second type of person, is the person that is burdened, riddled with guilt. Mm. They need to hear, repent, (laughs) because God is still welcoming the prodigal's home. They need to hear the grace in the call to repent. The first group needs to hear the warning in the call to repentance. And then I said, there's a third group. And I think that most of us fall into this third group. And that is, we are a mixture of of the first two that we need to hear the warning and the grace. And that's very difficult for us because we tend to go one or the other to a a great spiritual loss. Um, And I I think that shapes us in a certain way. We need both this uh, deep, deep humility and a confidence that comes from the grace, from from forgiveness. It?
0: Which, it's hard and that's what I think Jesus is saying when he says you have to enter into the kingdom like a little child yeah right yeah. like that because people are so dangerous when they believe that they're experts in whatever you know religious experts and you know experts in you know, institutions of like justice or, I mean, it just when we- Lord, hear, shall
1: we call down fire
0: upon them? <laughs> right. I mean, we we think, when we think we're experts, we imperceptibly begin to function as demigods, right? Like to say- The way, the
1: way I see it at Dariah Church is we, we start to play Holy Spirit Jr. And that's mm-hmm. always bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Well, what are you thinking about this week?
1: Well, I am thinking about something I really don't want to be thinking about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying not to think about it, but um, it's there, it's in the news. And that is, uh, there is another school shooting uh, this time in Michigan. Um, I believe, uh, is it Oxford High School? yeah, Uh, Just outside of Detroit. Um, This is not a... Poor community. I believe this is the 29th shooting, school shooting in this country this calendar year. 29, 29, mm-hmm. 29 school shootings. And at a deep level, if I confess a place of worry, and anxiety and fear for us as a society is that it it I sense that we are like that um, proverbial frog in yeah. boiling water, that we are becoming increasingly desensitized to this kind of thing, and we're kind of shrugging our shoulders, going oh, well, isn't that sad? Thoughts and prayers, (laughs) move on. And um, this is this ought to be an easy moral issue for all of us to rally around. For those who fly the banner of the sanctity of life, for those who fly the banner of social justice, this ought to be just a slam dunk. And it troubles me deeply. Not only that we have these shootings, but our inability to really deal with this issue. In addition, I'm asking the question, what causes a 15 year old to get a gun and shoot his classmates? Like 15, like, okay. Now granted, it's been a long time since I've been 15 and it is a time filled with great angst and pain and trouble, 15 is hard. And yet I I have a hard time getting into that mindset. Well, um, and the the well, what I where I land is that it's not about anger or bitterness, but it's about hopelessness. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. only way I can see someone being yeah. in that kind of mindset that you have to come to the very end of any kind of hope, and so this seems like a viable option.
0: I have three things to say. First is...
1: You're a good Presbyterian preacher. (laughs) Three points.
0: Okay, that doesn't sound like a compliment to me, but okay. Um, I mean, the first thing is, like, this is just how toxic our culture is. And I think, I mean, I think you're right, the frog in the pot. Like, we're so used to it that we don't even see how poisonous and malformed and toxic and radioactive it is. And when a 15-year-old child rises up and does this, what we see is, you know, this is the culture that has formed him. And I, I, you know, that hopelessness, I just remember being in, um, Bethlehem years, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, actually with the Presbyterian Peacemaking Mm. Foundation. And we were listening to someone I can't even remember, um, but a leader, within the Palestinian Arab community and he was talking about young people in his community and people I mean not anyone in our group but would often say like don't they if they engage in acts of violence if they engage in suicide campaigns um you know don't they fear life after death i mean don't they don't they fear a judgment or they you know and and he was saying you know the problem is not that our kids don't believe in life after death. They, they do believe in life after death. What they don't believe in is life before death. Mm. Like they don't Mm. believe in the goodness of that, that there will be goodness for them Mm -hmm. in this life before they die. And like thinking about that young man, what I, he doesn't, he did not believe in life he did not believe in life. He believed in death. Like that's what he believed in. And I mean, and you know, not, I mean, not I, cause I'm also thinking a lot like one of my daughters is supposed to walk in a Christmas parade this weekend. And I just, you know, just thinking about the other man who drove his car and mowed down a bunch of pedestrians and people weeks before in Wisconsin, like they're just, that is how, utterly sick and toxic our culture is that we we promote violence in our entertainment in our justice system in our you know political dialogue we just again and again in a million ways say that violence is an answer and so we then throw up our hand and think like how could someone believe in violence growing up in America I mean how could you not believe in violence growing up in this culture our heroes are violent our spiritual leaders so many of them support violence and our political leaders support violence like we are a country that loves violence and we think that people who talk about peace are well i was going to say a word that i won't say but we just don't we think that those people are milk toast weak nobodies so our kids don't believe in it and and they and, you know, people hear your your life doesn't matter. Some people's lives don't matter. You you have no hope for goodness. It's a competition, you know, anyway. So that was the first thing. And the other thing is I was reading an article about that um, school shooting and um, because they were saying that one of the things they noticed in the response was, you know, the students at that school had done a lot of active shooter drills. And so they could see evidence that the kids and teachers knew what to do they had alice protocol alert lockdown i don't even remember what it stood for and so they you know they locked their doors because all the classrooms have doors and they barricaded them so that stray bullets wouldn't get through and they um you know they were talking about it. there was a knock on the door of one classroom and someone said this is the police it's safe to come out and inside the students said we don't feel safe doing that right now like how do we know that you're the police and the person on the other side of the door said come to the window and see my badge bro and the kids were like no bro a police officer wouldn't say bro and they went out the window now it turns out it was a police officer but like that was the depth of their training um and and so then they were talking to a security expert about that in the article and the security expert was saying like yes it's good that they had the training um it's good that the schools are investing in some things like door locks Those can make a difference. But he said the reality is the thing that would really make a difference, um, because people are saying, like, you know, you know, you can harden the entrances to the school, but he was a student in the school. So he was allowed to get in. And that, you know, but he was saying the thing that would really make a difference is if we had smaller class sizes and more counselors and more of a focus on social emotional learning. And nobody wants those solutions. People are like, Mm -hmm. F that let's put more guns in schools, let's arm the teachers, let's make whiteboards that are bulletproof. Like we wanna invest in technology to solve this problem. And we wanna, you know, in defend. I mean, really what we need to invest in are the human resources to connect with, pe- with people in general and young people in particular to help them, you know, value life, In this life. But we don't, we have such a disdain (laughs) for anything but power that we don't want to invest money in those solutions because they seem like pansy solutions to us. We don't, we want a good guy with a gun. We want Rambo. We want a security officer to come in and fix it instead of saying, like, no, the people on the person on the other side of that gun is a person. Mm -hmm. And We could say that we can solve the problem by getting rid of that kid, like let's just have someone shoot that kid before that kid can shoot anyone else, or we can say, how can we create communities where we notice kids in that level of despair and have the resources to intervene in their life, and and that's just not you know, that's not a solution that we're interested in embracing. And I said thought that was so telling that the security officer, the security expert was saying, hey, what wow. you need is not more of what I'm selling. What you need is, you know, a way that every child in the school can see a counselor twice a year, right? Just to check in, how are you doing? But we don't want to employ people to care about people. We want to install metal detectors and that." is the problem. Right. And, and when,
1: when, um, we, when we step yeah. out of the culture wars mm-hmm. for a moment, we can then see that the Christian faith and the tr- Christian tradition has a lot to offer in terms of helping people become more human.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's well, what you're talking about. It's becoming, yeah. more, it's the opportunity and ways paths to become more human.
0: Well, and I think about, you know, the school shooting that was at UNCC just the year before last and the response of the community is very much to lionize and celebrate the young man whose name was Riley, who apparently like threw himself in front of the gunman and used his body as a human, you know, so laid down his life to save the lives of his classmates. And, and I I do think that that's amazing. And I don't want to take anything away from that young man. But what I want to say is, like, how sick are we as a culture that we just say, well, here's the solution. Let's have some people just lay down their lives, you know, be the sacrificial lamb. And, you know, the other young man who was killed in that attack, Reed Parler, I think was his last name, like, you know, his family has this anguish that like, you know, the one man young man is seen as the good victim the heroic victim and he's just a victim and I mean it's just the reality is like the whole culture is the perpetrator as much as the gunman and all of us I mean what I keep thinking about is did you read that story I read in middle school called the lottery do you remember that story yes so the premise is there's like this town and they're gathering for this ritual Mm -hmm. and as the reader you don't know what the ritual is but like every family in town has to gather on a specific day and there's like excitement and there's a bag full of rocks and they're all white except for one rock that's black and everybody has to come and first the oldest male of each family has to come and draw a rock and everyone's kind of waiting to see and they draw the rock and then they hold it up and they show that oh I've got the white rock I've got the white rock and then one family draws the black rock and you still don't know what's happening and and you also get to hear the people in town talking and they're talking about how like did you know that such and such town down the road isn't doing the lottery anymore can you believe it they think it's a, they don't need it anymore and like who could risk it and and then they go on to the next stage of the ritual which is every member of that family now has to come up and draw a rock and the youngest child goes first. It's like a two-year-old boy. And he drives a, a white rock. And everyone breathes a big sigh of relief. And, and it's at this point that you remember that the beginning of the gathering, there are young kids gathering stones. And it just seems like a game that the kids are playing. And all of a sudden, the mother of the family draws a black rock. And everyone in town circles her. And they stone her to death, right? And it's this this... And, and you don't see it's coming and it's horrific. And obviously all these years later, I, I'm still thinking about it. And it's this idea of like this town had come to accept as violence as an inevitable and normal, reasonable price to pay for peace, security, and safety of the whole community. So, the idea was they would do this lottery every year, and one person would die at the hands of the town, and then everyone else would get to live safely for the year. And I just feel like we as a culture are just drawing that effing lottery every day with our kids, right? It's just this idea that like we all need our guns and we can't take them away. And so, a certain amount of kids are just gonna have to die every day in order for the whole country to be safe because we need our guns. And the idea that we can't just look at this and say, we don't have to live this way. We're choosing to live this way because we think that the thing that kills us is the thing that's saving us. And, you know, we said it before that like for a whole church that is fighting about what it means to be pro-life, like it's unthinkable for a group of Christians to picket a, a gun range. Like we we think it's perfectly fine for people to go to a gun range and practice killing other humans with paper. Um, we just think it's a good American. And some of us think that it's even a manifestation of our Christian values that, you know, we're going to be ready to kill people for Jesus. And anybody who says, you know, Jesus is a man of peace. You get told like, well, you're just not realistic. You just are naive. You're just Um, depending on other people to do for you what you won't do for yourself. And I mean, we just have to ask hard questions about, do we really believe that the way of Jesus is the way of salvation? Or are we just putting a Jesus mascot on our American ideology? And it seems like the latter. I mean, we're not a Christian nation for a million reasons.
1: (laughs) So what are you thinking about?
0: Well, I ironically gave myself a perfect segue <laughs> unintentionally. Um, I'm thinking about, I was catching up on some podcasts and I was listening. I sometimes listen to a podcast called the Holy Post, um,
1: which I know is, that one.
0: you know, it, it's sort of a mainstream evangelical podcast. And I think like within the evangelical church, they're probably seen as very progressive, but I think outside of the evangelical church, they're, I mean, it's just interesting the way that we all have to label ourselves, but, um, but they are mostly having a inner family conversation about what is, um, going wrong within the evangelical church in America. And I'm just kind of listening in because it's, interesting to me. And because I, in a lot of ways, there's just a lot of elements of evangelical culture that I really do agree with, right? There are a lot of core values of the evangelical church, which I wish that our mainline church would um, adopt, which is like a, a deep absolute um, in wanting people to have not just communal, but also individual, personal, spiritual relationships with Jesus and a real um, impetus to share the goodness of life with Jesus with others, right? Which I just think are two things that many mainline churches just don't care about. Like it's fine if you want to be a spiritual person, but it's not required. And maybe it's a little bit woo-woo and primitive and it's fine if you come here, but we don't care. Right. I mean, we're certainly not going to go out of our ways to invite you. We might go out of our way to invite you into our institution because we now need your financial support to keep our institution going. But we don't have a real sense that we have um, a truth and a love that it is our sacred responsibility to share. Um, And again, I think we often say like, well, that's because we're tolerant. And I just think it's not tolerance, it's indifference. Like we just think that we're the coolest kids who belong in this clubhouse. And if you're not here, we don't care. And you don't have anything to offer us. And you can come in if you're just like us, but if you're not just like us, then go somewhere else. We don't care what happens to you. We like to do charity, but we don't want to be in relation. Anyway, that's not even what I want to talk about. But I was listening to this podcast and they were reacting um, to the news that I missed the week before Thanksgiving, that um, Michael Flynn, who is a general, a retired general, and at some point played a pretty high role in the previous administration. And also, I think maybe he was one of the people who who never even got confirmed because there was some, he lied to the FBI about something and, I, I, and then he was pardoned. And anyway, I don't really understand. There's too much to keep up with. But he was at a Christian conference in the middle of November called the reawaken conference. And as a part of that conference, he gave a speech and what he said in the speeches is, is if America is going to be one nation under God, and it must be, then we need to have one religion. And he was basically saying that, you know, the, the, the Christians needed to take their country back <laughs> and then impose, um, the Christian religion as the only state sanctioned and officially recognized religion in the country. And I, um, I was just thinking about this a lot, um, in, in two ways that we started our Advent series on Sunday and, um, we're talking about redemption as our theme. And so I I went back in the first week and wanted to grab two of the foundational covenant promises, God's promise in Genesis three, that um, the son of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Um, And then God's promise to Abram in Genesis 12, that he would become the father of a nation through whom all nations would be blessed. And just trying to help us understand that, it's just, there's just one biblical story. And that in the one revelation of scripture, there is a chapter where there is a chosen people and a chosen nation, but the chosen nation exists to bless all nations on earth, not to be lifted up apart and away and over and like blast or destroy all nations or infidels on earth. And also um, I really wanted to lift that out because I feel like we we see a lot of people, um, you know, powerful people with a lot of positional authority, both within the church and within the secular government, making arguments that I don't feel like most average Christians know our faith well enough to know that there's something wrong to know that those aren't faithful interpretations of scripture. So when a man stands up at a Christian conference and says like, hey, we're one nation under God, we need to have one faith, like that's not, I mean, if you're just thinking about that from a human perspective, it doesn't immediately strike you as such a as such a crazy thing to say, especially if you're a Christian who believes that Jesus is the son of God and the salvation of all humanity, then you want to say like, well, yes, we should just make, make it so that only the truth can be said in the public, you know, that, that just seems like, oh, that's just helpful for folks to, to know that they have to do what God receive this gift that God is giving them. And, and it was helpful just to hear the folks on the Holy Post talk about, hey, the reason that Jesus was denied and betrayed by his own followers is because he refused to set up a theocracy, right? Like Jesus said, I'm not doing that. Jesus said, you know, from the cross, I'm not calling down legions of armies to come down and destroy all the people who are doing this for me. He stopped Peter with his sword. You know, Jesus could have forced and coerced every person on earth to bow a knee to him, and he did not. And we have to understand that about our savior and accept that about our savior. And we should know that well enough so that someone says, so that when someone says, hey, here's a good idea, let's just make everyone worship Jesus. We have to say like, well, if that were a good idea, then Jesus probably would have done it. And if Jesus refused to do that, refused to do that even before his ministry began when when the devil came to him and said, hey, worship me and I'll just make everyone worship you. And Jesus said, no, this is not going to be a relationship based on fear, violence, and power over. This is going to be salvation through giving up advantages, laying down our lives, and doing good to those who curse you, right? Like, this is the way, the narrow path to the kingdom of God. And we don't understand our own story as believers. And so I just, I mean, the fact that a a congregation full of people whose primary identity is as followers of Jesus can so misunderstand their own sacred text that they can cheer someone who says, hey, let's have one government and force everyone to worship Jesus just says, well, we have really um, malformed the people of God because they don't know how to discern between the truth and a lie.
1: Yes, um, wow. Well, and I, I have two additional responses um, to that. I, I think you gave the, the the best response and most powerful response in that this is not the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Two other responses come to my mind. First of all, the history of Europe shows That theocracies don't work. Just if you let's let's just all go back to the Middle Ages and study Europe forward from the Middle Ages, and you see that whenever the state tries to force people into, especially a certain brand of Christianity, it just doesn't work, either for the state or for the church, and the result is often violence. Um, Two, those who are coming from a charismatic Pentecostal kind of context should should immediately have a red flag going off because those people are clearly taught that one of the things the Antichrist is going to do is advocate for like one one religion, force everybody to be in this one system. That's that's empire thinking and um, I'm really just astonished that there wasn't um, more because I didn't hear this story uh, more about it, but, but clearly, I mean, there's just so much in not only in scripture, but in our theology and the history of the church that says no way, no. But at the same time, I can see how many will buy into that, can buy into that, will buy into that, um, because again, it gives an opportunity to crus- crusade for um, something that feels right, even though it is very right. twisted and malformed.
0: Well, and I mean, just the fact, I mean, you use the word crusade, and I oh, mean, I'm doing
1: that very intentionally.
0: Right. And I just, I mean, the other day, somebody in the church called me to say that their son was playing in a basketball game at a local Christian school by me and and their mascot is the Crusaders. And I think like just the fact that Christian communities continue to purposefully I you know identify a crusader as someone to be emulated. So someone who will buy a right food,
1: fighter. Yes.
0: Right. Like someone who will who will use violence to force people to have faith in Jesus. And we don't even understand you know, and I think to your point about why aren't we hearing more about it? And obviously like I heard about it on this fully post podcast. I saw it was the same gathering where the congregation was chanting, let's go Brandon, which we don't have time to unpack here. And so I had heard that, but I hadn't heard specifically the comment that um, the general made. And and by the way, in when I was preaching about it and I just wanna say this, um, I made a choice to um not name the person like I just wanted to name the idea and to say hey this idea is dangerous and antichrist and here's why and I didn't want to name who said it because I really it's not it's not a partisan thing it's I mean if both political parties are human and fallen and corrupt and I, I think there's differences and we have the responsibility to make the most faithful choices that we can. But I also, it's its not about saying like, oh, you know, those X and that party are the problem. The problem is the idea. The idea is demonic and destructive. And we need to be able to say, whoever is saying this is, is using Christ's name for their own personal agenda. And it doesn't matter what mascot they use, if it's a donkey or an elephant, the idea is wrong. And I want people to be able to think theologically and go like, wait a minute, that just doesn't sound right. And that doesn't sound safe or healthy. Um, so I, I, but I, when I did start researching it, like a lot of people were responding to it as, um, as political operatives sort of saying like, okay, this is an agenda that was a silent agenda and now it's being explicitly um, articulated or people were responding to it historically and sort of saying like well you know America was founded as an anti-theocracy oh no it wasn't they just didn't like the theocracy in Europe but they were fine with the theocracy as long as it was their theocracy and I was just saying like the I, I mean whatever like historians should talk about history and politicians should talk about politics or political pundits should talk about politics but As faith leaders, we need to talk about the theology of what's happening there, right? Like it's just, it's about having people who are mature enough to be able to recognize, hey, I know the story of Jesus. And I know the story of Jesus well enough that when people start talking about using force or violence to compel people to follow Christ, those people are working against Christ, not for him, no matter what they say. Like we don't kill for Jesus we might on occasion be called to die for Jesus, but not to kill and not to die taking somebody else's life, right? Like that's just the the Prince of Peace is led like a lamb to slaughter. And if we don't, if we don't accept that, then we are not worshiping Jesus, no matter whose name we put in our worship songs.
1: Peter, put away your sword.
0: Yeah. So what are you preaching about this week?
1: This week, uh, I'm looking at, the Annunciation, the announcement uh, by Gabriel to Mary that she is going to conceive and give birth to the Messiah. And um, yeah, clear, clearly I have it all worked out. Um, but I think, like you did last week, I think this week I may take an opportunity to tell the meta narrative of Scripture. Um, I was listening to um, actually a TED talk last week on. On uh, the narcissistic personality, and you know, f- of course, they were talking about how th- that personality is turned in on itself, self-love, all that good stuff. And the, but what struck me was that the person said, um, "We see like real clinical narcissism heavily in countries and societies that place a strong emphasis on the individual." Yeah. That since the 60s or 70s, there has been a dramatic rise in narcissism, like clinical, clinically diagnosed narcissism in the US, um, especially with the rise of social media. And at that point, I stopped listening and I started asking myself, how, how have I, as a preacher and preachers in general and the church in general, contributed to this emphasis on the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have not told the story of God so loved the world. God is redeeming the world, right? Because I've heard many sermons on Jesus loves you so much. He went to the cross just for you. And if you were the only, and we miss, and it's true, Jesus loves me every individual, right. but we miss this meta-narrative of Creation, fall, redemption, new creation, and so I want to tell that in light of the Annunciation that Gabriel. What one of the things that Gabriel was doing was announcing, okay, this is happening. This this promise that was made in Genesis three for someone to come to crush the serpent's head. That's what this is.
0: Right, and I think I mean the challenge is it is personal, and it is individual, and we do get to participate, but we do not get to own it, right, it doesn't, it doesn't, it isn't, and the limits of salvation don't stop at the limits of our own body, or our own interests, right, like salvation is God's interest, it's in God's divine interest, and, and that's what we can't wrap our heads around, and that's, you know, to me, the big tragedy of the division in the church, which is, you know, the mainline church really is crippled because it has been divided from the evangelical church, because we've lost that passion and understanding about needing to cultivate our own friendship with God and needing to long for and seek and knock and ask for a transformative personal spiritual experience. And The mainline church has been lessened and malformed by its division from, you know, from the, I'm sorry, the the evangelical from the mainline, that they're just things that the mainline church understands about anchoring to history and being formed by the larger community and, and having a communal identity that helps form your individual identity. Like those, those things are lost. And that's, you know, coming back to Paul's understanding of, you know, the body of Christ is meant to be not separated off into enclaves of like with like, but to to be a space where there's mutual s- submission and interdependence between folks with radically different gifting and orientation. Um and and that, that is not that's not a bug. It's a feature. Mm-hmm. And we choose a superficial, easy Unanimity and uniformity over a deep unity that changes all of us and and shows us both how we matter and how we are essential and how we are also um, dependent and not sufficient and so that's you know just what I see over and over again. And so I'm not preaching? preaching this week, so I don't have. You're not to preaching talk. this week. <laughs> we are um, having the cantata in worship this Sunday, which we um, do. Um, during the Advent season every year. And um, we didn't do it last year for obvious reasons because we were virtual and we are doing it this year. And like everything else in this, you know, post not post-COVID new normal. I, I don't I mean, I just I started to call it a hellscape, and it's not a hellscape, like it's a gift, and it's just not returning to the life we cherished and it's harder it's just harder and there's this deep temptation to just wait you know wait until things get easier and they're just not going to get easier um they're not going to get easier I think things will get more beautiful and I think that they'll get richer and I think we'll get stronger and I think we'll grow deeper Um, but I don't think it's going to get easier. And so we're doing this cantata and there are less folks who, who felt like they could do it and we're singing with masks and it's just, um, it's hard, (laughs) it's hard. And it is a deep privilege to um, do it anyway. And, um, you know, be aware of what a precious and holy and gracious gift it is to be able to gather and sing um praises and marvel at the mystery of the coming of Christ um in a new way. And it is essentially a modern day lessons and carols is really what I finally realized. And so um within writing the 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 text and um our music leader um has found um new um songs and um so it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. But I'm not preaching.
1: Hooray! Is it, is it going to be uh, live?
0: Yeah, I mean, yes. We, if you gather with us, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yes, very good. so we'll that's see. Yeah. I mean, it, it will not be in the same, but it, it will be live streamed. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So, anyway, so we've talked for forever. So, thanks for listening. Um, and if pray you pray for me, have,
1: I'm about to start running again.
0: That's a oh god. And you're welcome. Um, what Matthew, when you listen to this forty years from now, sitting across from your ninety-year-old father as he dangles his great-grandchild on his <laughs> knee, will be. You thank me. Um, anyway, if you want to find out more about what's happening at Tirrita Pres, what God is doing there, you should go to their website, which is. DeridaPres.org. You should worship with them on Sundays at ten thirty. You can check out their YouTube channel and get um, old sermons, recent sermons, and a whole worship series actually. And their podcast, which will get you all of Yolando's messages, the back catalog, the deep cuts uh, on the Podbean website. Look for the Derida Church podcast. And if you want to know more about the Grove, you can go to our website thegrovescharlotte.org you can check out our youtube channel you can worship with us in person at 10 a.m if you wear a mask otherwise just watch it on facebook live and you can um check out old messages from the grove um on our uh podcast which is the grove church podcast which you can get on itunes or or yolando
1: anywhere
0: wherever else
1: wherever yeah.
0: anywhere else, anywhere, literally anywhere else you get podcasts. I'm told I've never checked it out. Um, so (laughs) thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.